to another episode of A Novel Evening. I'm Danny, also known as Blotted Ink Books, and this week is a bit of an episode with a twist. The author that I'm going to be chatting to tonight is someone who I would actually have on my guest list for my novel evening, um, which to be honest would predominantly be made up of characters. Um, and maybe a couple of long dead authors. So he'd be probably the only living one. Um, maybe one of two living authors that I would welcome on to my novel evening. I reached out to this author a long time ago um, when I looked a lot fresher um, to basically ask for writing advice. He was the first author that I'd ever, ever made contact with in any way, shape or form. I'd ever dreamt about talking to about writing um, and he sent me some really lovely advice and we've kind of touched base on and off since then in various ways shapes and forms and I'm basically going to have a, a chat with him tonight I reached out to ask if he do the pod and he was like oh I don't really know if I'm good at these kind of like fantasy dinner party formats and I was like well why don't we just chat for my novel evening so I'm gonna ask him the questions that if we were together having this dinner party before any other guests arrive, the burning questions that I want to ask him, the things I want to know, that's what we're going to do. So I'm incredibly excited to be joined by Isaac Marion, author of Warm Bodies. Uh, I'm sure you'll have heard of Warm Bodies. It was also made into a film. It was a fantastic book. Um, also the adaptation on Nicholas Holt. Excuse me for a minute. He's also the author of The Burning World, The New Hunger and The Living, and he has new writing that he is working on at the moment. Super, super exciting. He's had such a journey from then to now, and I cannot wait to talk to him all about everything. Um, so strap in, because this is going to be a little snippet of my real life novel evening. So a big hello to Isaac. Hello. Hello. All the way from America, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> exactly. Where are you now? So people who follow your Instagram will know that you have done a pretty sizable move um, to what is essentially a shed? For the moment, yeah. It's, uh, I'm sort of working backwards from um, what will eventually be like a guest house or a guest cabin or storage shed really um to i'm living in that while the house gets developed so uh eventually there will be you know a smallish house out here but it's taking a lot longer than i expected and so i just moved into the shed because i gotta live somewhere <laughs> yeah i mean where you are living is incredibly beautiful though i mean it is you just bought a patch of land right you've just bought this i say patch of land but it looks humongous <laughs> Yeah, well, the the actual size of it, I mean, I don't, from what you can see on my my post, it's uh, hard to tell where Vine ends and the, the state land begins, but it's basically infinite around me, except for the one neighbor on my on my uh, to the north here, and uh, yeah, mine is forty acres, but it's it's all just endless wilderness around there, so it kind of doesn't even matter how big mine is. <laughs> yeah, how do you? I mean, obviously, I live in England. And we don't have all that much space between our neighbors and houses. We all live kind of on top of each other. How do you deal with the isolation? Because that would freak me out a little bit. Yeah, well, you just get more and more used to it. I've been kind of moving further and further out from civilization since Seattle, which, you know, in Seattle, it's similar as it is in, in any urban area or any heavy, heavily populated area where there is no open land really and everyone's just on top of each other like you said yeah and then I moved from there to a, an island out on the peninsula of Washington that was pretty isolated it was like a log cabin in the middle of nowhere but I did still have neighbors here and there and there was still kind of town that was not that far away and had kind of like some culture and nightlife and then uh, now I'm just in the absolute wilderness where there's there is there's one neighbor kind of like I can see neighbor. their house <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um but yeah it's the isolation is kind of kind of the point I mean I, I I still like to be around people I still like to do you know 
fun cultural events and stuff like that. But I just, I don't like to, I decided I, I wanted to kind of re- reverse the, the ratio and instead of living in that and then taking a vacation to the middle of nowhere, I wanted to live in the middle of nowhere and take a vacation to the city. Cause it was just, you know, that was the, the ratio of what I wanted to focus on in my life was more like, I want to focus on what I do in isolation and then take a break once in a while and go have fun, see people and stuff. So I still do that, but it's just not the, the every day anymore. I think that's, that's a really cool perspective though, because so many people are like, I'm going to go on holiday and I'm going to go be alone. Or I'm going to take that time out. And like you say, it's kind of the reverse should be true. You should be, you know, your fun stuff should be when you're with people and you're doing gigs or you're going to bars or, you know, you're having cultural yeah, yeah. stuff, as you say. It's such a funny mindset, isn't it, that we we consider peace a holiday? Yeah. I mean, I think it just depends on what kind of lifestyle you prefer. I mean, I think it's perfectly valid to, if, you, if you're really into that, you know, that social um, scene and, you know, being active in, in your community, then it makes sense to to live in your community and to have a community and you know maybe it just depends on what you prioritize so for me for for many many years I wanted more of that I wanted to be around people I wanted to you know participate in the the social endeavor and all that stuff and I wanted to you know be around the museums and the shows and all the cultural fun and, and meet people and all that so that that was the place to be when I wanted that and when that was what my life was all about and just kind of little by little, that balance started to shift. And there was kind of this pivot point where I still lived in Seattle. And I'm like, why, why am I paying all this money to go rent cabins like on the coast or out in the mountains or something it, often <laughs> when I could just live in those cabins and then come back here on the rare occasion that I feel like going out? So, yeah. So it's, it, I don't think it's, it's, there's no one size fits all. It's not like I think everyone should live like this. Most people shouldn't really, because <laughs> most people that I talk to would go insane out here. And yeah. I, I just have slowly adapted to this, this, this amount of social contact. You do have some company though, because obviously your cats have moved out with you as well, which yeah. <laughs> is crazy. You've given them some kind of like outdoor paddock thing. Yeah. The cats are my actual neighbor. They have their own home about uh, I don't know, 200 feet away from me. And uh, they live in a little trailer in a, in a, with an outdoor kind of chicken wire um, zoo enclosure that I built for them so they can go outside. They can't live in my actual house with me because it's uh, 10 by 13 feet in here. And I can barely walk. <laughs> they have more luxury than you do at this point. I they, feel they like they actually have more square footage. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, so you've come to chat with me about writing about books. You will not remember this, but uh, a long time ago, probably over a decade ago, a very young novice writer emailed you for writing advice when Warm Bodies came out. I randomly emailed your Gmail. <laughs> to ask you for advice as a writer and you very kindly emailed back um you were very generous in replying at all um and you were the first author I'd ever talked to about writing or had the courage to contact in any way and you were very kind again in actually acknowledging me um and I loved obviously loved warm bodies and it did tremendously and you kind of, because it all started on like the internet, right? Was it an internet sort of written novel that you started? It started as a short story that I put on the internet. And um, and then that's how it kind of, well, that's how it started. And then eventually that I sort of made a contact at that time. And then later I ended up expanding the story into a novel, which that yeah. person helped kind of push through the door. So it did start there. It didn't, um, you know, the novel didn't start there, but the, the seed for it did. Yeah. And obviously it became, it was kind of came out the time when things like Twilight were very big. The kind of paranormal romance genre was very big. And I will say now, I've always loved zombies. I've loved the proper George Romero, old school shuffling zombies. Um, and I was very excited when there was a, like a romance fun kind of take on that whole scenario, the, you know, the apocalypse. Um, and it tackled some darker themes as well. I think people who went into Warm Bodies expecting kind of a light, funny zombie love story, it kind of tackled, you know, the world at large. You tackled some really tough themes in that book. Uh, did you kind of anticipate that it would be 
marketed in the way that it was? No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> it, that that was that rea that reaction that you just described there was kind of the the big trial that I went through for that entire period of time was just that that trying to navigate people's expectations versus the reality because as I discovered after entering the industry, they really don't market things for what they are. There's sort of mm -hmm. like, you know, in, in actual fiction, there's an infinite spectrum of what things are. You know, it's, it's a slow gradient from light to, to heavy and, and, you know, funny to, to serious and everything in between. But for marketing terms, it's like they have red, green, blue, and, and they just have to pick whichever one is nearest to that, even if it doesn't really represent it accurately at all yeah and the more you know finely shaded it is the less accurate that representation is going to be so yeah they I think marketing people struggled a lot to figure out what to do with that book because it it you know on the surface level it, it fell into these certain boxes that they were familiar with and like some of them would acknowledge like we know this isn't quite what you're doing but it's the best we can come up with <laughs> it's like okay I guess you got to do something but yeah so it kind of it even with the book itself, it was kind of like that. And then, of course, when the movie came out, it, that, that kind of became the representation to the world as to what it was. And the movie was, was definitely more on the, the comedy kind of lighthearted side, and was, yeah. leaned into more of the romance, more of the, more of the young adult kind of vibe. And um, so then that was, you know, inevitably became the face of the book, which sort of removed it even further from the reality. So, yeah, I ended up in this position where, you know, I'd written a certain book and then I had all these people coming coming to it from the marketing who had just completely different expectations and and um, some of them you know would be pleasantly surprised and they'd be like you know I thought this is going to be really stupid <laughs> and it turns out it's not that stupid or like I just you know and then some people would just um, some people wouldn't like it because of that because they're like this isn't at all what I signed up for <laughs> and then then there's kind of the people in between who somehow still thought it was the silly stupid thing even though I'm like did you even read the book like, did you pick this up the same book <laughs> yeah yeah so there's a lot of interesting reactions to, to yeah. deal with and it, it also sort of pushed me around in lots of unexpected places in in, in the, the promotion side of it you know I'd find myself at, at conventions and, and having interviews with places that really I didn't know anything about they weren't my scene at all and it was not what I was trying to write for at all yeah. I'd, you know, have to just, you know, make the best of it and, and try to try to, to be friendly with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't want to be out there being defensive. You're like, that's yeah. not what it is. But but, you know, I still had to try to promote it accurately. So it was yeah. an interesting ride. I'm very much looking forward to having just a fresh start, something that's yeah. not um, doesn't have all that, you know, pop culture baggage attached to it. Yeah, that's and I've had friends who are book bloggers who have very recently discovered Warm Bodies and they're like, I kind of didn't read this because it came out with this whole like, oh, if you like Twilight, you'll like it with zombies. Yeah. And they were like, I didn't pick it up for that reason. And now I've read yeah. it and realized actually it's kind of a satirical look at the world at large as well. Do you think you obviously wrote two sequels to Warm Bodies that I think felt darker, perhaps in theme in a lot of ways? And I know that there were some struggles between Warm Bodies and the sequels coming out. Do you think it was because of the, the tone kind of, I feel, becoming more adult? Was that kind of a big part of why the sequels maybe weren't as big as Warm Bodies? When I say big, you know, marketed in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they really weren't marketed at all. Yeah. To be honest. <laughs> and I think it, it's, of course, the big mystery is, you know, why, why didn't that work out? And the obvious one is just that there was no movie for those ones. So, you know, yeah. that, that the movie did 99% of the marketing for, for Warm Bodies. And, you know, the publisher even basically admitted as much as like, we're not going to do anything for this because it'll, the movie movie budget is, you know, we're a drop in the bucket compared to what they can do. So yeah. they just kind of let the movie take it. But unfortunately, they kind of took that same approach to the sequels too when there was no movie. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I, I think it's hard to say because, you know, that would be, an easy conclusion to make is that people just didn't like the turn that it took. But then, you know, I look at the reviews and it seems like people did like it based on, you know, the, the aggregate user reviews on Goodreads and Amazon and all those, all those kind of things. So it doesn't, there's no obvious signifier that, you know, the books just 
weren't what people wanted. It, it thing, main thing I've struggled with is just making people aware that they exist because, you know, it, I find it kind of odd that um, there are, you know, people can say Warm Bodies is like my favorite novel of all time. And they're just now finding out that I wrote three more books in this series. Yeah. Like 10 years later, they still don't know. <laughs> it's like, it's wild, isn't it? Yeah. You'd think that it would just, it would make its way to them somehow. But, but the um, marketing is just so weird now. It just doesn't, it, they're not in the right channels. Yeah, I was talking to another author about kind of publishing and marketing and how it kind of works. And it's a really like fickle thing. And I was talking to someone actually, he's an actor as well. And he said like he was part of a a big budget production. But he said it's really weird because basically, you know, with marketing or anything, it's kind of like what's hot now? That's kind of hot now. We're going to boost that and put our energy into that. And it's such a weird thing because it's literally done by some like white men in suits in a building somewhere. I'll be like, oh, that's the in thing. Let's put all our money into that. And actually, as you say, like the sequels I thought were a much more maturely written story. I felt like Warm Bodies really was just the kind of the building block for this bigger world. And it's 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 so strange. To me is that, you know, in my opinion, Warm Bodies is sort of like the prologue to to the actual story that I wrote. It's like the the warm up, and and then you know the meat of it is in Burning World and The Living, and uh, those are the ones that ninety nine percent of people never heard of. And so I'm like always encountering people who who loved Warm Bodies, and they'll they want to talk to me about it. And I'm like, you know, that's like the first chapter of the book, right? Like it's it's kind of oh yeah, I didn't read the other ones yet, but like I love the first one. <laughs> oh, I didn't read the the last you know 20 chapters of the book but I love that first chapter <laughs> we have a conversation about it you know because people don't know how the story ends I'm like well how do we talk about this because that's not that's not the story that I put out there <laughs> yeah it must be it must be so frustrating and you have you've been really open on like your social media and I appreciated that as well that you were always honest in at times when it would have been really easy to kind of pretend like everything was was fine, you know, and to gloss over certain things. And I think actually, as someone who would like to be able to write, sometimes seeing the reality and the flip side of publishing and writing, and I say overnight success in quotations, because everyone, you know, you work hard to get there, but people see you have your first book be a bestseller and assume, well, they've mm-hmm. made their millions now. Everything they yeah. write is going to sell massively that's the end you just need to write one book and then that's it you're set for life it's it's that's refreshing yeah <laughs> as you say from your shed in the desert to find out that like your momentum lasts about maybe a year and then you're back to square one <laughs> so, I was like wow I, that goodwill burns up quick yeah uh, do you think as well I think when Warm Bodies came out I remember finding you on like Tumblr back when that we were both much more fresh faced I feel like and we (laughs) you know I had less bags under my eyes um and I think now with social media things move so fast like everything's so disposable isn't it you know you log on especially like book blogging you get like the the book of the week or whatever that's everywhere and then before you know it it's on to the next book and I think it must be so hard now especially to market books and to keep attention on on your books yeah it's 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 kind of a, a hellscape really it's, <laughs> it's the 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 advice that you'll see if you actually want to try to like put in the work and learn how to do it right i i look at it and i'm just like maybe i just won't be successful then <laughs> i'd rather <laughs> i'd rather not do this right than to try to jump through all these hoops that they want you to do and basically you know crush yourself into some like sad little creature that that you know just rides the algorithm all day and tries to figure out how to game Instagram and do all this complicated online nightmare stuff just to like get to basically game the system because there is no legitimate organic promotion anymore there's no like people just deciding what's good and telling people about it you have to you have to play the game that that basically corporate social media has created for us and that's just like I don't know I don't know what my solution to that is I just it's it's pretty depressing maybe you should just take out billboards go real old school and just take out like three billboards did did you I did that for the burning world I uh had not billboards but massive posters uh put up all over Seattle and and a few other towns I I, know cities all over the country I forgot about that New York (laughs) City a bunch of cities 
I, I paid a like a ad agency to do a postering campaign like they do for movies, you know, yeah, like yeah, where yeah. you see just a wall of, you know, giant, I don't know, eight by eight by five posters or something that had the cover of the book and, you know, some cool slogan yeah. and, and they were put up all over the country, all over the U.S. And uh, yeah, it, it just it just doesn't work. <laughs> I think next <laughs> like, time. It's a waste of money. Your campaign fun, used though. to just be like a picture of you in front of your shed with the words like, please buy my books. Like I'm not living <laughs> in a shed. Maybe just do that and hope. But yeah. maybe, I think now you have to sell your soul to social media and like you say, organic growth and just yeah. people walking into a bookshop and just picking a book doesn't seem to happen. And I know as, as a bookstagrammer, we're constantly fighting against the algorithm just to try and... Yeah get things seen so I can't imagine if you're actively trying to market something how and like TikTok like I'm too old for TikTok I don't understand it I don't want to get involved I don't want to make videos of myself pointing at books and clicking my fingers and and I know a lot of yeah. authors I've been like you need to be on TikTok but what is that actually going to do for you for your book really I I, I tried it briefly if people were telling me the same thing and and even disregarding the fact of like what I think of the TikTok experience it just it didn't you know everyone's advice was like well all you have to do is get on TikTok and then you know have some amazing personal story that everyone finds relatable and then that goes viral and then your book sells like well I don't have that so <laughs> it's just me talking about my book like there's nothing that interesting about my life I mean, I, I don't know, Isaac. I, I would say your current situation as a real like Devonshire country mouse, you live in the desert with your cats, you live in a trailer, you're building a house. I mean, you must have snakes and stuff. Like that's all I can keep thinking. It's like there's gonna be snakes <laughs> and other well, lots of snakes. Yeah, like you must have like actual dangerous animals. Like we have not like squirrels, like we have nothing dangerous on our doorstep. And you're living in yeah, a tin shed. Yeah, there's rattlesnakes everywhere out here and they're potentially lethal at any moment. So <laughs> I've had to kill quite a few of them, which is sad because they're just minding their own business, but they will kill me. So what can I <laughs> Have do? you had anything in your, in your shed, in your house? Have you had anything turn up? No, I don't, think they, I don't think they can get into the shed, but I've had a few get into my car, which is almost worse because I discovered one crawling around my feet while I was driving <laughs> okay the worst yeah. thought I've ever had is a wasp in my car and that's enough for me to have like actual palpitations if I lit down and I would crash there's no <laughs> I would just take me and the snake yeah <laughs> it's a really unique sensation to just completely shut off your brain to stay calm and not scream and not swerve and just pull over and jump out of the car and then try to find something in your car that you can use as a weapon I mean, yeah. I'd say you're, I'd say you've got a pretty pretty unique st story right now. Well, and you maybe are it is. you are writing again, which is incredibly exciting. You've written a novel that you've shared uh, on over on social media, The Overnoise, and I know that you haven't shared a great deal about it, but it's written right. You've done you've done a draft of it. It yep. was being checked out. Was it last kind of winter autumn time? You were sending off like first kind of look. Yeah, it's gone through several drafts. Um, and it's currently sitting with my agent, uh, who is prone to disappearing for long periods of time and leaving me hanging in the, in the unknown, which is where I'm at right now. It's been, uh, about two months since I turned it in and, uh, haven't heard anything in a month, so I don't know what's going on, but that's, that's how it's always been. I think that's how it is from what I can gather that's they like to just keep you just hanging in there with enough anxiety to keep you you know yeah. getting too comfortable right yeah but yeah I mean I I it's, it's gone through quite a few drafts and my my agent has already who's who is basically my editor I mean he did most of the editing with my other books and the actual publisher editor just kind of did final final polishing but um he's already gone through it a couple of times and I've made big revisions. So my opinion is, you know, I would be happy to send it out to the, the publishing world. Now I'm just waiting to hear his final thoughts on it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's torture to have finished it long ago. And then I just can't share it with anyone. I'm just sitting on it as, as the world moves on. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, this one is particularly um, time sensitive, I think. I mean, it's not oh. exactly topical, but it's, it's something that is written very much like 
for now, and uh, it may it may continue to be relevant into the distant future, but uh, I know it's relevant now. And so it's kind of like, it's particularly urgent where I would just love to have it be read now as opposed to, you know, three years from now and who knows what the world will look like by then. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, the world seems to be permanently on on fire at the moment, doesn't it? So with yeah. any luck, it'll yeah. still be a shit Every new development in-, in, in the real world, I have to kind of see it through the lens of, of how dated does this make my book? Oh, no. <laughs> how, how, how minor do these problems seem in comparison to what's really happening? <laughs> what can you tell us about the book, if anything? Well, yeah, so the, the basic premise is out there. I've been talking about it kind of in, in vague terms for a while. I, I, I hesitate to put out, you know, detailed stuff until, until it's more, you know, yep. in the pipe. But um, base, the basic idea is that it's kind of follows this musician and her husband and her bandmates who are kind of like this little group of broke musicians, basically, who are uh, about to put out a new album and at that time there's this new you know communications technology this internet basically like infinite internet where um it's you know allows the whole world to have basically unlimited connection you know infinite speed infinite bandwidth um that then you know allows all these crazy new technologies and all this economical growth and all this amazing social change that this technology makes possible but it um has the side effect of producing a background noise like a hum that is all over the planet and uh you know so at first it's just like oh it's a glitch we're gonna fix it and uh and then you know a week goes by and they haven't fixed it oh we'll fix it soon we're working on it months goes by and it's just kind of this drone in the background of everything and so it you know it's about this these musicians attempt to kind of find their adapt and find their new their new place in the world as the noise just keeps getting louder and people keep, you know, putting up with more and more things and well, it's worth it because we get all this cool stuff and this good change is happening. So we can't, we can't turn it off. And it just kind of gets a little worse and worse and people give up more and more things in order to allow this stuff to continue until it's sort of like music is sort of doesn't work anymore. You know, we can't, can't release our album because it happens to be, you know, just slightly off the pitch of this note that everyone is hearing everywhere they go now. So it sounds terrible. So, we'll re-record it or we'll wait and, you know, just keep adapting and sort of reducing their standards um, in order to kind of keep up with, with the changes in the world. So it's kind of like, it's not so subtle metaphor for a lot of things. And, uh, I was going to say, you now live in like the quietest place in the world. I wonder what yeah. the metaphor here is, yeah. but it sounds fascinating. Um, yeah. It's really sort does. of like, it's, it's not pure metaphor. I mean, there's a literal side to it where yeah. it's just kind of, I, I'm, it's interesting to me to explore, you know, what would actually happen if you have, you know, what, what changes would unfold in society if you have this, you know, basically the sense of hearing is being reduced in importance little by little until many of the things we kind of take for granted, like even just yeah. talking to each other, things that are, are harder and harder to do. And, you know, you see that happening all the time with in the real world where, you know, just things are things are loud and people are like oh well i i have to watch movies with subtitles on now because like there's so much noise in my apartment and there's always people walking in and out i just i can't hear the dialogue so i just kind of turn it down and watch the subtitles and all these adaptations that people keep making in order to sort of put up with the state that the world is in rather than you know change anything it's always band-aids and stop gaps and you know basically reducing the human experience step by step in order to accommodate the march of progress for better or worse and so it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately yeah I mean and it's true you know I think for convenience it's amazing what people at large will kind of put up with for what they feel is convenient or easy or as you say kind of just replacing one issue with another issue and just keeping going I think it's it's a really fascinating concept and it is very horrifying to me I mean it's it's I see it happening in pretty much every aspect of society is is there's just the relentless trend is make new stuff that makes things more convenient at the expense of a little bit of quality and just little by little the quality goes down the quality of the experience goes down and it becomes faster more accessible more disposable and that's just sort of taken for granted that that's how it has to be and you can see this trajectory of like so many different things compared to what the experience used to be and now like we don't need movie theaters anymore just just you can just watch it on your phone with headphones like it's fine it's the same it's fine it's good enough 
it's not that bad. It's kind of the refrain that you keep hearing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, does it have to be that way? Like, is there, is there anyone checking this, 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 this movement? Is anyone saying like, can we at least acknowledge that it's happening? <laughs> so, yeah. For me, I, I we know. went to buy a new fridge and you can buy a fridge now with a tablet in front of the door. So you can just order your shopping. So your fridge will tell you what's missing from your fridge and we'll just do a shopping list for you over the week. And then it will just email it to Amazon or whatever. And then your shopping will arrive. And like, you can just go and double tap to look in your fridge. And like, there's a little small part of me that's like, oh, that's cool. And then actually another voice comes in is like, wait, what, why would that ever be necessary? Why wouldn't I want to just go to a shop with other human beings and be mm-hmm. in a shop and pick my own food? Why would I want a fridge that lets me see inside my fridge? You know, why wouldn't I yeah. just open my fridge and look? It's when you actually start to dig down, it is quite concerning, you know, as, as you start yeah. to actually look at it and peel back layers and think, are we actually as a species now unable to open a fridge to look and see if we have milk? I think that the, the question of what you lose is, is weirdly not asked. And, I, and that's kind of a recurring refrain in the book is like, what will we lose? Because there are some things, it may turn out that there are some things that are worth it, you know, but you do some new technology makes some change and it's like, well, we lose this, but it's worth it because this is so good. And, you know, if that's the case, then so be it. But I feel like no one wants to talk about what you're losing. It's just always the progress. And and in some cases, maybe it's not worth it. Like there are some things that I don't think we shouldn't, we shouldn't move forward with because of how, how it destroys, you know, just fundamental parts of being human. And I guess that's kind of the, the trend that I see with a lot of this progress is that it's it's all about reducing the human presence in life and like everything becomes more distant more 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 intermediaries between you and the experience to the point where you know there's the whole metaverse thing where it's like that's we're going to be completely removed and like talk to cgi avatars of each other and not actually even see your faces anymore and it's you know there are things where it's just all about like shaving away little by little that just fundamental elements of humanity and i'm like it's so subtle and it takes a long time and it's just one little thing at a time that people don't realize what the end product is going to look like you know what 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 mutated monstrosities we're going to become if we keep keep doing going down this path so it's it's pretty uh it's intense i'm listening to you and i'm like oh my god i've never thought about any of this stuff before and like obviously i have children so looking at them as well like they're I mean, 90s baby, like computers for us in school. I remember we had like big old Packard bells and we got to learn how to use Word in like our computer classes. But for them now, like technology is just the norm. Like they just know instinctively from such a young age how to use, you know, electronics, how to process that, how to engage Mm -hmm. with it. And yeah, you think about each generation is just going to have, you know, Will we one day just be delivered by robots, you know, within our home and there'll be no human interaction? It's a terrifying and it makes for quite a, it's a dystopian work. It's also got an element of horror to it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. The, I mean, it, this, the book is, you know, it sound is sort of the, the sense of choice that I'm focused on in this particular story, but it, it, it's kind of like alongside that, it's a lot of other things that are happening with this movement toward kind of um virtualizing everything and so you know it sound is the external audible portion of this but you know at the same time the reason that everyone wants to do it in this story is that it allows them to do so many other things that you know a lot of things that started to become ubiquitous during pandemic lockdown eras you know like zoom for example here we are on a zoom where you know you'll have people who are family members and stuff it's like well it's fine if we all move to far points of the world and don't ever get together because we can just do a Zoom once in a while. It's, you know, it's almost as good. And just all these things that, you know, well, now the, the, the speed is infinite, you know, you're in each much better, better clarity. And so and there's no more delay. So it's, you, you literally, don't ever need so you're in a room so, together. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah you can't it's, hug, but you, you yeah, know, yeah. there's no it's delay. It's close enough. And, and yeah, so, so yeah, it's kind of like, you know, I chose because the characters the musicians they're they're thinking about sound a lot but it's it's sort of like there's all these sort of creeping horrors of different ways that it manifests in the way that um you sort of see society just sort of move away from like the human voice that you know everything kind of gets 
gradually mediated, converted into text or or text to speech, and you know, just stuff that is happening right now. Where you know, oh, I'm so lazy. TikTok, the math for example, times. we're talking about TikTok. How often do you hear someone actually talk on TikTok? Oh, it's, it's always text to speech, and I even thought that was a voice app. Or or quotes from movies. No one speaks, and yeah. no one like. It's just it's eerie to me that people are so eager to you know remove a fundamental element of human communication. It's just like people talking. Like we don't want that anymore. It needs to be synthesized, and it's it's, it's creepy weird. to me. It is like when you're describing it, it is creepy. It's definitely got that. I, I'm trying to think. You know, but like I robot like Isaac Asimov's that that kind of feel of you know when technology and humanity when it's you know a clash of yeah. what's kind of overtaking what um and you're a musician as well aren't you I know you you have played yeah. music so I guess for you as well you know music and sound and things are also a fundamental part of you as a person yeah I mean this whole idea it, it, it kind of started at that point was just thinking about you know how how things were changing specifically for the music industry and for musicians and, and watching how, you know, the, the devaluation of music as it progresses and, you know, Spotify, for example, pays, pays less and less every year to the point where it's basically there is musicians cannot make money selling music anymore because everybody accepted it. Like, this is convenient and we're going to do it this way, whether whoever dies in the process or who cares. And so, you know, just as an example of, you know, an art form that was once, a way that you know a, a, an industry into itself a way people can make a living just little by little that doesn't we don't really find that relevance anymore and it's sort of like well 9.99 is too much to pay for the all the music ever recorded on earth whereas you know <laughs> five years ago 10 years ago we paid 17 dollars for one album and yeah. nobody had a problem with it and suddenly it's like i won't pay nine dollars for all the music ever made are you kidding me and it's like how did that shift happen so quickly and so there's just sort of these attitudes of like the, the reduction of, of that. And, you know, I thought the noise idea is kind of like, is it because of all the noise, you know, not the literal noise, but just like societal noise that, yeah. that is just sort of everything is harder to pay attention to now. Everything sort of matters a little less because there's just so much stuff happening all around you in all media. There's even just within music. I mean, there's so much more music being released now than there ever was in history that you just completely get lost in. I, I had a bizarre experience recently where one of my favorite bands, probably easily top three of all time, is a band called Godspeed You Black Emperor. And uh, they, you know, I, I've been following them since like 1999, uh, like this really mysterious sort of post-rock band with orchestral. They have all these, you know, they didn't used to do any interviews. They were like kind of cryptic band. And I, you know, fell in love with them way back then and obsessively followed them ever since then and you know, big influence on my whole creative life and everything. And, and then I was just sort of browsing uh, on Reddit a couple of days ago and uh, found out that they released a new album last year, like over a year ago. And somehow this information never found its way to me that one of my favorite, all-time favorite bands put out a new album and there's just so much noise in the yeah. cultural landscape that it just it just got buried even though I have, you know, everything about my life and my habits should have pointed the algorithm to, toward yeah. that. It just got lost in it for a year. <laughs> like, no wonder nobody knows that my books exist. <laughs> Even when you're like actively looking for stuff, yeah. it's just hidden behind so much other crap. Yeah, so I mean, you just... can't even choose what you want to see on social media yeah. now. Like it literally chooses yeah. for you. And I get like, adverts for tiffany's like i don't know who these people think i am but like if you're sending me like high-end jewelry and that's what you think that i'm meant to be yeah. looking at clearly the algorithm is not doing what it's meant to as you say like it's targeting stuff at people that's totally irrelevant yeah because they they know better than you what what <laughs> you're gonna buy i mean like you might think it's irrelevant but then maybe you know that you'll buy it later somehow they know this <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna need to find a really rich husband if i'm gonna buy yeah. <laughs> maybe that's what the universe is they're trying to manifest for me yeah. <laughs> my 80 year old husband somewhere down the line so i can actually afford some jewelry <laughs> i mean it's it's wild though like you say they feel that they know best and it and things like when you have a conversation with someone and then you open your phone and the thing you were talking about is on that yeah. uh, you know but honestly i, I I feel like the actual ads themselves are like, that's, that's quaint to me at this point. Like the actual per, per paid product ads, 
that's what people used to complain about. And now I'm like, that's not even the problem anymore. The problem is the suggested posts, the, the, the basically hijacking of your own activities in order to like aim you in directions that are profitable to these companies. You don't, it doesn't have to be a product. They just, they want you to stay on the platform. And so they have this whole elaborate brain hack that they, if, you know, determined what buttons to push to keep you on there as long as possible. So it's not even, you don't, you're not even looking at ads. You don't think you're being manipulated in that way, but it's just, it, there is, we were talking about organic re reach before and how it used to be, you know, word of mouth and all these ways that sort of human ways that you would find stuff. And now it's, you know, I, social media in general, the, the actual original core of it, you know, the, the people that you follow, I don't have any problem with that. I think I, I enjoy Instagram and Facebook and whatever when it's when it's people yeah. and when it's, you know, the people that I chose to follow because I like them and I like what they do. That stuff's cool. And like, I don't, I don't even mind being shown as I don't mind them stealing my data, like whatever this stuff, like if I could just interact with people yeah. that I choose to, I'd be happy with social media. But now like they're, they're downplaying that so aggressively yeah. and they're not even hiding it. Like they'll talk about it. Their owner will talk about it on Twitter and stuff where it's just like they they don't care about who you follow they'll, they'll put random people that they like in your feed on top of the people that you followed and they're actively you know de-emphasizing basically your choice in any of this in order to put the stuff that's like tailor-made to engage you on it and it's it's creepy like think about it it's because you know your your friends and family are not high octane uh, dopamine hits they're not like prime content that will keep you aggressively engaged all the time. So they don't want you to see your friends and family because they want you to see that super addictive content. Yeah. So instead, you know, they'll feed you all the reels and the TikTok clones and all the stuff that's just like, you know, tested and approved super content. Yeah. That's what'll go in your feed, not the stuff that you choose because the stuff you choose might be boring. It might be You might, you might uninstall the app. <laughs> yeah, if I have to watch yeah. my mom- like yeah, sharing random videos <laughs> but you know the the, the the stuff that's already viral the stuff that's yeah. already proven to to have hooks they'll just keep feeding you that because that works it's been proven already so it's this huge conflict of interest and i'm like if if i could turn that stuff off i'd have no complaint but you can't turn it off and it's just getting bigger and bigger filling more and more of the space yeah. i'm kind of at this crisis point right now i mean this is fun that this topic came up right now because it's the last couple of weeks I'm like what are we going to do this is not sustainable like this is ruining my life I open up Instagram to see what my friends are doing and suddenly I regain consciousness three hours later and I'm just like where am I what have I been looking at it's just this relentless feed of like just the juiciest cotton candy junk food content that I didn't want to look at and it's forced into my brain and that is literally what nightmare. TikTok is as well like TikTok is literally fast fire yeah. shite basically yeah. just thrown at you and like I've got a friend who openly will say she's like I can just waste hours just scrolling yeah. so it's all just so fast fire and she'll share yeah. stuff that I don't really use it but I'll like log into my phone I've had like 43 messages and she's like up oh, share 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 and before I know yeah. it I'm like what has she sent me and then suddenly I'm in it it's yeah and I, you know, I love Bookstagram. It's a, it's a wonderful community. And I would say that compared to a lot of aspects of Instagram, we do a, we do a pretty good job at supporting each other and trying to promote each other. And in, because it's books, you know, there's not really any dramas. We just talk about books. Um, but I do think even there, even within that, we're still getting stuff fired off at us all the time. You can't, you can't tailor it anymore. No. They're just going to give you whatever works the best. And you're right. Like if and they would just let me just interact with people, I want like sell my data to China. I don't, I don't care if yeah. they know where I've been food shopping. Like yeah. free. it's so <laughs> like, frustrating that people focus on that. Like every critical social media think piece you read though, it's like advertising and data. And like, that's so old. I don't care about that anymore. <laughs> like I already know that they have all my data and they're going to use it to advertise. Like that's, last decade i'm i'm worried about them like rewiring my brain fundamentally like <laughs> yeah. let's talk about that it's like uh, also like amazon like i do think with lockdown i was guilty of it suddenly because amazon would deliver everything and you could get your tv from amazon you could get everything you needed during lockdown and suddenly i was like i'm buying stuff i don't even really need because i know it'll come the next day yeah. You know, like I'd be like, oh, yeah. I, I, oh, I need this. And whereas before I'd be like, oh, I'll just wait a while because I can get it whenever. 
I'd be like, oh, I can just buy that right now. Oh, it's only three pound. I'll just do that. Like, yeah. it's and, like, yeah. And if you spend 20 more dollars, you get free shipping. So better keep shopping. <laughs> yeah, well, I got Prime because I'm a mug. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I have that And too. I really want to watch The Boys on Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. So I was like, oh, free shipping and The Boys. But yeah, it's just, you know, Bezos is is rolling in it because we are all so addicted to constancy and instancy. Like we want everything now. Like we don't want to wait 24 hours. Yeah. Even like a TV show, yeah. like now having to wait a week for an episode of a TV show. Like we want to be able to have it instantly. Yeah. We want a film now. We don't want to go to the cinema in a six months time and watch it. We want to be able to stream it now. Yeah. It's yeah. the same with books. I love, I still love pre-ordering a book and getting a proper book calm. But I can understand why a Kindle and stuff is so desirable because you can get it then and there for, you know, a tenth of the price. And there basically aren't any bookstores anymore. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's so, I mean, we are so lucky here in the UK that we still have like Waterstones and we do have some wonderful like independent bookshops that are surprisingly, when they did a, did a news article, bookshops were one of the very few businesses that coming out of the pandemic actually managed to raise a profit over here in the UK, mm -hmm. which is, which is mad. I'm going to fully say that I probably helped, uh, help, <laughs> help boost their sales dramatically <laughs> over that last year. But I yeah. do think, yeah, bookshops, like you say, even people picking up a newspaper, like who goes and buys a newspaper anymore? Like, yeah. On your phone. I understand, you know, wanting things fast. If, if you if you're excited about something, of course you want it now, if it's possible. But it's kind of like, I guess, the concept of of um, of not fulfilling your immediate gratification all the time is kind of kind of foreign now. Like it, there, I mean, there's a bunch of you know, I'm out here living in this shed. I have. I was no gonna TV. say, is the uh, irony lost on you? <laughs> and but there's this, you know, growing backlog of of media that I'm not consuming even though i'm really interested in it because i'm like i don't want to uh you know watch this great new movie on my phone like i don't want to have sit here while being blasted by a fan and air conditioning with my little headphones trying to watch you know the the, the new great oscar winner or whatever <laughs> i'm gonna wait till like i can sit down and do it but it's like i don't know it's, it's a weird question because i'm kind of thinking you know i i heard a lot of people say this about my books too like when i put out the living there were a lot of people who told me i want to finish it but i, I need to wait till like till the right time when i have when i have some space and when i can sit down and enjoy it and at the time I was, it was sort of frustrating but now like, i get it you know there's all these things that that i'm actually invested in that i i don't want to enjoy yet yeah. because you know i want i want to treat it with some respect i want to have like the proper experience for it and then there are times when i'm just like you know what I just cave in and I watch it on my phone or laptop and it's, you know, it's good enough. It's kind of halfway there and, and, uh, but you lose something in that process. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing that scares me is just sort of this relentless grind of like life is so horrible and we just have to like do it in the shitty way um, because yeah. the good way is no longer available or the good way is now just too hard to access. And sometimes it's technology, sometimes it's just like our lifestyles. I mean, people, yeah. The, the lifestyles are geared toward that sort of rapid doing everything at the same time kind of thing. And just eventually you can't really, you can't really sustain those like quiet, deep, deep experiences with yeah. things anymore because it's just not only is our brains rewired, but it's just, you know, the whole surroundings don't work like that anymore. They're I, actively, I find it, yeah. If the, the surroundings are actively preventing that, you know, yeah things in our everyday lives are, are actively preventing it. And I will say, you know, your current situation, as I say, is, is very unusual. But again, you know, we have endless TV house building makeover shows that show you that it's super easy to just go and build your dream and move into your dream house. And, you know, you're, you're grafting for it. Yeah. You know, you're proof yeah. that sometimes you've got to have a bit of discomfort and a bit of patience. I say a bit, a lot of patience and... Yeah have some you know some rough times to get you know to build something that is worth it at the end that isn't just instant gratification turns out most of those shows are entirely staged anyway <laughs> it's like the cute little couple with their hammer we're going to build our own house and then off screen there's a 30 person crew with a bunch of heavy machinery that you know fills it up in between cuts <laughs> we actually we have a great show here called grand designs 
which is where someone will either build their dream house or they'll take an old house and they'll do it up. And my favorite, it's probably the most British show you'll ever watch because it's the only one where there is no bones made about how shit the entire process is. The guy will literally go back and be like, this was due to be completed in six months for 50,000 pounds. It's taken him 1 million pounds. And two years later, it's just sat in a pile of mud and everyone just loves it. Like we love Good. the misery. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's my brand then. <laughs> that is, you would myself. go down a storm. <laughs> Yeah. You will get that. And hopefully, you know, I'll put it this way as well. If the apocalypse ever comes and I'm in America, I'm going to come hang out with you because you've got the best location oh, yeah. ever. Plenty of room. <laughs> just got to watch the snakes. Watch the snakes. I'll have the uh, the trailer with the cats if that's okay with you. <laughs> Sounds pretty luxe. But I am very excited for the overnoise. I will cross everything that uh, you hear something back soon and we get it because it sounds fascinating. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be awesome. And thank you for just chatting nonsense with me um, in the sweltering midday heat. Yeah. <laughs> the temperature <laughs> has risen about double since we started. <laughs> I know. You're slowly getting pinker and pinker as we're yep, talking. Yep. And it's getting really cool. I'm sat on my like luxurious sofa like, oh, it's just yeah. the evening set in. <laughs> but thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.